I'm Cesar Rubio, five-time past master of Palm Springs Lodge number 693, and this is Masonic Muscle, where we focus on the strongest aspect of Freemasonry, a virtuous education of the mind, fortifying it with wise and serious truths, encouraging all brethren to increase their level of fitness one degree at a time, making exercise and study a cornerstone of your daily routine, because Freemasonry is work. When you put in the work, Get closer and closer to the point within the circle. Masonic muscle. We give you more light, but no light weights. We're here to pump you up, body, mind, and soul. All right, welcome back. Welcome back. Before we get to today's show, I have a real quick favor to ask you, as you all know already. If you've been enjoying the Masonic Muscle Podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you took just one minute, just one minute to give me a review on either iTunes or Spotify. It helps me out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you so much. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member you'd think would get something out of this show. Word of mouth is the primary way that Masonic Muscle grows and spreads. So please share Text a friend, send out an email, however you communicate, tell them to check it out. Thank you for your continued support and on to the show. And by the way, if you would be so kind as to feel it in your heart and not charitable, right? Now, don't, I don't want to say feel charitable. There's been an ongoing debate amongst Masons for a long time as, as to what the word charity means in our ritual and how what's... The original intent. And in the book, Observing the Craft by Andrew Hammer, he gives an excellent definition. And what he did was he went back to the time when the rituals and the wordings that we use now were, were being written. And he said, I'm going to check on the definition of the word, kind of like what we do in the trivium. Not kind of. That's exactly what he did. And he got back to the original meaning of the word and where it came from, the etymology. And what he found out was it comes from the Latin caritas, which means something precious. The Romans used this a lot. It's not connected with money. And even in the Bible, I believe that it says faith, hope, and charity or faith, hope, and love. So if you feel it in your heart and you're feeling love for the show, donate some money. Now, I don't know where you can donate, like give me donations or give the show donations, but I know on Spotify you can subscribe. Subscribe for $1.99 or $0.99, cents, $1.99, $4.99 a month. That'll really help me out because what I do with that money is I begin to scour the Internet and I look for other information that I can uh, use for the show for the mysterious origins of Freemasonry. And also if there's something that I found of value for motivation to help you get started on your way to getting more fit, eating better, and just taking care of yourself because the fraternity is going to need it. I feel like the fraternity is beginning to make a turn and the turn is going to be a painful one because many Members are realizing that what we've been doing in the past 
And what we've been doing all along hasn't been working for a lot of lodges. And so they're getting a lot of members that come in. <clears throat> and what happens is they go in, they find what they're looking for. They get an application real quick. Then they get initiated, but it happens fast. I mean, there was no real substance to getting that app. No real challenge, no real expectation or bar was set. It was just, you have a pulse. Oh, you are interested in Freemasonry? Here you go. There's the application. Fill it out real quick. You know, we're having dinner. You see that guy right there? As soon as you fill it out, go have him sign it. And then see that other guy? Go have him sign it. And that way we can read it off tonight. And by next month, we can vote on it. So the lodge didn't, nobody in the lodge got to, took the time to try to get to know you. They didn't give you enough time either to come around, get to know some of them, see what they're all about, see if you're even going to be a good fit for their lodge or if the lodge is going to be a good fit for you. And so we're making this transition. We're in this transition phase where a lot of members, a lot of lodgers are going to feel the pain. Yeah, if you go online, if you go on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook, you're, you're seeing all kinds of initiations and fellow crafts and master men. Congratulations. Oh, congratulations, brother. But soon the honeymoon will be over if those lodges have not begun to figure out a way to give more value. An excellent set of articles were written in the 60s, in the mid-60s, by a past grandmaster of Indiana, Dwight Al Smith. I've been talking about him before. I'll, I'll mention him here again. Why do I do that? Because he lamented what he lamented about in 64, 65, when he wrote these articles. And remember, he became master of his lodge in the 30s. And he went all the way up the chain of command, becoming the Grand Master of Indiana. And so he wrote his observations down. And those observations are still valid today, all across the United States, including California. Think about that. Now, Masons from East Coast to the West Coast, you know what time it is. Have you been studying your ciphers? If you're a member that has been helping the Lodge out ritualistically, if you're a member that has taken on the responsibility of becoming an officer, and then finally made the commitment to start going through the chairs, you know, earning the chairs through merit alone, like Anderson's Constitution talks about, not you're the only one left and we need to keep the lodge going. So just step in there and we'll help you out because that creates a very low bar expectation. It does. And everybody's watching. It's not like nobody's seen this. But if you have committed, have you been studying your ciphers? Have you been committing the necessary amount of time, prioritizing your time, to give the best maximum effort. If not, why not? Have you been studying the Entered Apprentice, Fellowcraft, and Master Mason degrees 
and everything that comes with it. All the symbols, all the history, all the mysteries. Here in California, it's the Masters and Wardens Retreat time. It's going to be coming down here soon, this month, I believe next week, next weekend. They will, the Grand Laws will be down here. So many members will get a chance to go and take advantage of some of what they have to say. Have you been improving your spiritual, moral, and Masonic trestle boards? Have you stopped making excuses and begun to improve the level of your fitness one degree at a time? That also applies, brethren, to you committing the necessary amount of time to studying what Freemasonry really is. Have you stopped making excuses? Has your lodge slowed down enough to allow the men and the members who have committed to becoming the leaders of the lodge, which in essence everybody is a leader in the lodge, but when you've committed to taking a chair, now you've taken another step in the level of your leadership. And I'm going to tell you right now that if, and if you're not taking the time to study some, some of the actual history of Freemasonry, some of the actual foundational documents of Freemasonry, you're doing yourself and the Lodge a disservice because how are you going to be able to lead effectively? How are you going to be able to be a true leader of the fraternity effectively if you have no concept? When would now be a good time to start this improvement of your body, mind, and soul? When? I wonder. If you haven't been asking yourself this, you should start to because these are the questions. They're the difficult questions that have to be asked. They're the difficult conversations that have to be had. Now, the last couple of episodes, what I've been talking about is the history of exercise and weightlifting in the ancient world. And we've been talking about Egypt. And of course, Egypt and, and Freemasonry, I mean, the mystery schools, right? And I've been talking about the mystery schools. Now, many people believe that the mystery schools originated in Egypt, but then you have authors, researchers like Manly P. Hall who said no. You know, if you want to take it to its ultimate source, you have to go back to Atlantis, the mythical land of Atlantis. And they had their form of mystery schools and wherever they got it from, because Atlantis goes back even further and on and on and on. So think about that. Now, when you talk about the mystery schools, many, many a man that became a mason when they came upon the possible connections between Freemasonry and the mystery schools, and they began to dig into these uh, books and documents that have been written about it and possible connections, it's fascinating. It, it really is. But you can easily get lost 
it, with the amount that has been written and then some fantastical theories out there. And someone consider, some many, uh, I'm going to say, would consider Manly P. Hall's version or theories outlandish. Many Masons as well. Again, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Many Masons out there have taken the politically correct, politically safe route of not trying to venture too far out into the crazy theories. But no matter what we do, we can't seem to get away from it. Recently, I got an excellent email from Jesus Marquez, one of our members from our lives. Hey, Jesus, how are you, man? That was a great, it was a great email. And he was talking about, I, th I believe, two episodes ago, the, you know, just the need to come correct and come from a place of strength as far as Freemasonry and trying to understand what it is and what we're supposed to be doing. I recently went to Cancun, Cancun, Mexico, El Yucatan, thanks to Daniel Duardo and, and his wife, Elizabeth. And, um, you know, I said, yeah, let, let's go down there. And I talked to my wife. We're going to go down there. Okay. She sent me a, a picture of the map of the Yucatan where we're going to be. And I didn't even think about it. We were going to be two and a half hours away of Chichen Itza. And an hour and a half away from Tulum. Both ancient sites, ruins from the supposed Mayan civilization. And to many authors that have studied these ancient civilizations all around the world, including the Mayan Empire, they, according to them, found evidence of the Mayan Empire having mystery school system. It would make sense. There's pyramids here. There's pyramids in Egypt. There's pyramids, now we know, all over the world, in China, in Croatia, I believe, in Bosnia, and Europe, just pyramids everywhere. Something happened. Graham Hancock has these excellent series of books. He's about to enter a debate on the Joe Rogan show with someone else, an archaeologist, I believe. I posted it on, on my, I shared it on my Facebook page where he's announcing that this, finally, someone's going to take him up on his bet. Man, what a time to be alive, right? We were out there, and the second day we were there, we said, you know what? We rented a car, and we made our, started making our way out there at 9 o'clock. It's two and a half hours. They got some excellent highways, by the way. It didn't look like Mexican highways, I'll tell you that much. They looked like American highways, nice and clean, well done. There was still a lot of construction, but you can tell a lot of money are going into these highways because these ancient sites are worth seeing. And I didn't know it till I got there that Chichen Itza is one of the seven wonders of the world now. 
and it's been uh, I I think since like 2010. And let me tell you, it is all that and more. And we just got to see half of the site because half of the site was closed for repair or it wasn't the season. I can't be sure what it was, but as soon as you get there and the first thing you see is the pyramid of Chichen Itza, you're, I now understand what many people have said before when you're in awe. That's what I was. And your eyes are seeing it. My eyes were seeing it, but my my brain wasn't assimilating what I was seeing. All I could think was that these primitive people did not build this pyramid. No way. No way in hell. They're telling us on the one hand that they were barbaric. They were... They lusted for blood. They sacrificed thousands and thousands of victims, tore their hearts out, poured the blood on the ground because they believed that a sacrifice of blood had to be had every day in order for the natural cycle of time to continue every day. But when you're out there, let me tell you, everything but that goes to your mind. And you're just looking at these sites and the accuracy and how level they are and how precise they are and how much thought went into it. And then you realize you're in the middle of the jungle. How the hell did they get all those stones out there? And when you're out there, it's, I believe it was like 75, 77, 78 degrees, but 80% humidity at least. So if you're not ready, if you're not hydrated, you're in for a world of hurt. But if you know how to do it, you get in the shade, you have plenty of water. And your water, we, we bought some water right from a gas station that was two minutes away. We loaded up. And so I got the coldest waters we can get. But, you know, you're carrying it around in your hands. So within 10 minutes, the water's already warm. 20 minutes later, the, the water's pretty much the temperature of outside. Iguanas everywhere, giant iguanas, rare birds. You're, you're, you're in the middle of the jungle. You can begin to see how the Spaniards, the conquistadores, must have felt when they saw this. They must have been just as confused and baffled as we that go. You can go online and look up all kinds of videos of people that travel and go over there and they'll give you these great documentaries and you can see it all you want. But until you get there, there's no comparison. There just isn't. I started posting a lot of those pictures that I took on my phone onto my Instagram account at Masonic Muscle. And our phone started to get hot. And it's really bright out there, too. There wasn't a lot of clouds that day. So it was very bright. So I couldn't see the screen. And the phone kept acting weird. And then I realized, well, the phones are hot. So you got to go into the shade. But there was so much to see. And I, the Chichen Itza spread out. Everything, the pyramid, the ball court, the temple of the warriors, 
and all the other platforms are spread out over a mile radius. It's huge. They say that 50,000 people live there at one time. Could have been more, you know, because you have a lot of you have a lot of maintenance even in that time to do. The jungle if if that place was left unattended, the jungle will swallow it up in 5 years. You would not know it's there. Other than the pyramid because the pyramid I believe is almost 100 feet tall, so it's taller than any of those trees. You would see the tip of the pyramid, but everything else would be swallowed up. Five years or less. The jungle grows fast. It is humid. There's a lot of rain. So there's no reason for it not to get swallowed up. So they have to maintain it. So a lot of people, those ancients must have had their gardeners during that time. Then the next day we went to Tulum. And Tulum is right on the beach. It was a Mayan, I just kept thinking it was like a Mayan getaway. And when I say it's right on the beach, it's right on the beach. And there's a lot of ruins there as well. Again, I uploaded some of the pictures and videos that I took when we were there. And yeah, there was giant iguanas everywhere and they don't care. They just walk right up to people. They're sunbathing. <clears throat> and again, you're left to wonder as you're walking these ruins, as you're walking the paths, and as you're looking at some of the pictures that were posted up there with some of the history, because we didn't pay for a, for a guide. And that's part of their hustle. There's all kinds of people on there. As soon as you get to the site, be, before you get to the site. So as we were getting to Chichen Itza, we didn't even get to the town. The, the town's name is Chichen Itza. That's the town's name. It's a small, little, sleepy town. I haven't been to a town like this in a long time. It's, it's small, not primitive. It's got, you know, technology out there. You've got light, you know, you've got gas stations, you get internet, nice little hotels, but it's small. I, I don't even think it has 10,000 people there. But, it, but before we even got into Chichen Itza, there's a guy that stood right in front of you on the road and didn't, didn't get out of your way. So he forces you to stop. And then he forces you to pull over. And two guys will come up to you and they'll begin to ask you, where are you going? We're going to Chichen Itza. Oh, yeah. And they begin to give you directions, but that's the hook. Once they give you directions, then they begin to try to hustle you. And they're going to sell you this and sell you that and uh, you know they, they their hustle is is strong but because of that we were able to buy a ticket that included your entrance to the ruins your entrance to a cenote which is a i want to say a sinkhole but it's not a sinkhole it's, it's almost perfectly round it's fresh water and people can swim in there because we went to one after that and we swam in there. I haven't uploaded that video, but I will here soon. Fresh water. There's fish in there. There's shrimp. And these sites were sacred to the Mayas. And so they would go in there and they would swim and fish. And, and, and the waters are nice and fresh. They're very refreshing. As soon as you dive in the water. Yes, it's cold. But as soon as you dive in the water and submerge yourself, your body immediately recovers. It acclimates and it feels great. It feels awesome. 
So part of the ticket covered that. And then the final part is that it covers a meal for you. So it's a special little menu, but it's a great meal. Drinks not included, but your meal is. It's a three-course meal. It's your, it's your soup, your main dish, and then dessert. Well, the same hustle existed over there in Tulum. So when we got there, we already knew. They started trying to pull us over and this and that. And we were just barreling through it. Hey, get the hell out of the way. Get the hell out of our way. We already know what to do. We know what time it is. So we get to Tulum. It's about a 10-minute walk. But the hustle, the hustle is on. You can rent a bike. You can rent a moped. You can get on a bus that takes you all up there, but, you know, they're going to charge you. Maybe, maybe about a buck or something. But we wanted to walk. And there was a group of people there that were dressed in Mayan garb. It's pretty cool. All painted. Their bodies all painted in loincloths and looking like eagles or, you know, the, the Quetzal bird. cannot fathom when you go there you think you can all i kept thinking was that i wanted to stay that i wanted to find a way to stay especially at chichen itza and the pyramid and the ball court looking at all the hieroglyphics trying to figure out why they did this i I know what history says. I read Graham Hancock's books back in 94, 95 with Fingerprints of the Gods and the ones that came after. I have some other books that talk about the Mayan Empire. And I know what they say. I know what established archaeologists say. I just don't buy it. I don't buy it. How are you telling me that these people that wore loincloths that never discovered the wheel. That even told the conquistadores and the Franciscan and Dominican priests that questioned them about these sites, told them that they did not build them. That they inherited it. That it, they were already there. Some of the sites were like renovated by the Mayas and they point those out and you can clearly see the difference between what the older architecture was and skill and then what they did. And there was a lot of walking a whole lot of walking, a whole lot of sweating. And what does this have to do with the mystery schools? Well, like I mentioned earlier, there's some of these re researchers, I believe like Churchward as well, and his books that came out in the early 1920s, 1930s, where he said that the Mayans had mystery schools, or something like that. I could be misquoting him. But all you got to do is get on the internet and look it up, and you're going to find someone that's positing that the 
at the Mayans, at the Aztecs, that the Olmecas, that the Toltecas, that they had their version of the mystery schools. And they had their version of a sunken civilization like Atlantis. Nothing lasts forever. Whatever happened caused these Mayans to abandon all of these sites. These sites were not found again, many of them, until the 1800s. And the jungle had pretty much swallowed them up and someone ran into them and then told them about them. Someone came out, began to cut their way through the jungle. They did find it. They began this massive excavations and cutting away of the jungles and all that and plants and trees and found evidence of massive evidence of civilizations very advanced and in reviewing Graham Hancock's book Fingerprints of the Gods it was saying that even Porfirio Diaz one of the presidents of the of Mexico he ordered one of his men that had found or maybe not found but knew of these some of these ruins to go begin to to destroy one of the main pyramids i believe of mexico the pyramid of the sun and because because of the stone and the material that it was made of that that was on like the casing stones so they he took off like 20 feet worth of casing stones where the pyramid began to like fall apart and someone finally realized hey we're 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 fucking up we can't be, be doing this how can we save this and efforts were made and hence we still have the pyramids but 20 feet 20 feet of material was taken off of the pyramid and they say that it was very ornate very colorful it had hieroglyphics and the story of whatever it was trying to tell to us all of that was taken off and you wonder now like holy moly why did we do that we could have known something more but that's what happened so a lot of these Places now around the world where they're finding things that they didn't believe was there. They're preserving them. They're trying to preserve them. Just like a lot of Freemasons are trying to preserve the most precious thing of what Freemasonry is supposed to be doing. I don't think we're supposed to be joining a lodge so that we can raise hundreds of millions of dollars for this or that. I don't think that we're joining masonry so that now we can make a member and then push them off to other appendant bodies for whatever that's worth. I don't believe that the lodges are supposed to be places where the membership rosters are, are 300, 400, 500 members. I think it's supposed to be a small, intimate place. 
a place for 50 members, maybe max, active members that continue to show up time and time again because what is happening in that place is so special that they're willing to preserve it, that they're willing to fight for it, and that they're willing to pass it on to the next generation with the expectation that they will make it better. That they will keep it just as strong, that they will hold on to the most precious traditions, that they will always remember what they're supposed to be doing there and pass it on so that we don't forget the core principles. And I believe some of these Grand Lodges have lost sight of that. If you go online, you'll find the Colorado Grand Master speaking his mind. He's recording these videos and he's telling the Colorado Masons what we are supposed to be doing. I'm saying we, we are all Masons, Master Masons. And he's just laying it down. I don't believe we join so that we can be present for pancake dinners, spaghetti dinners, or pancake breakfast, sorry, spaghetti dinners. I believe we're supposed to feast together. and Feast, not just have a meal. Feast. Enjoy each other's presence. Have someone give a talk about Freemasonry so that we leave more enlightened. We were given something to speculate on. The wonders of the world, like the one that I just went to, my wife and I, and improving ourselves in Masonry. And I leave you with this. When are you going to jump into the breach? When are you going to stop making excuses and try to figure out what Freemasonry is and isn't? And once you do, share that message with others and be a leader. Remember, Freemasonry at this moment and for a long time now, not just this moment, but Freemasonry doesn't need any more Masons that need to be led. They need more Masonic leaders to lead them. Remember that. I will leave you with that and peace out. These strong sessions are calculated to inculcate in the mind of the novitiate the importance of subduing our passions and improving ourselves in masonry, feeding the attentive ear with the sound of the instructive tongue, endeavoring to add to the common stock of knowledge and understanding, effectively spreading the cement of knowledge and wisdom, and hopefully some good will towards exercising. Get out there and get your walking in. Open up your ciphers. Study, memorize, and just do it.